Welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 128 for October of 2022. And as promised, we have a guest again this week. It's our old friend, Jim, a.k.a. Rusty Spokes online from the great state of Colorado. It's been five plus years since you've been on the podcast. Yeah. Great friend of the podcast and and my longtime friend. Uh, how you doing? Good. You? Good. Good. I was talking to somebody today and I was trying to figure out how long we've known each other. And I came up with like 35 years. Probably it would have been 80. Um, Late 80s, right? 80s. Well, well, 80, it would have been 86 or 87 when yeah. I met you at the now defunct, long defunct mm-hmm. West County Kawasaki Honda in <laughs> Manchester, yes. Missouri. And with us, as always, Garrett and Eric, how are you guys doing? Good. I should keep this to myself, but 86 was the year I was born. Nice. <laughs> I, I was a junior in high school, so yeah. <laughs> Since it's been so long, why don't you update us, give us a little bit of what's in your fleet, what have you been riding, what have you been doing, what are your interests motorcycle-wise, just to summarize. Okay. Um I still have my 2016 Africa Twin DCT. It's got 39,000 miles on it now. Um, I still have my 2001 KLR, which I've had forever. It's got almost 60,000 miles on it. I blew up the third gear on it, so I had to fix that. Um, I've got an old 82 XR200 that I accidentally bought. (laughs) (laughs) it's it's kind of a ongoing little project it's it's really complete but i just need to finish fixing it and then last fall i bought a 2005 kawasaki concourse so a 1000 concourse just kind of randomly bought that and it was a little bit of a project but i've been riding it so that's what i've got right now Let's see, a couple of weekends ago, my wife and I took the Africa Twin to a little mountain town, Salida, about 100 miles from here. And spent the weekend, went over there on the bike, and then rode a couple of passes and tried to find some Aspens that were changing. Just had a nice weekend on that. Um, other than that, I've been doing a lot of commuting lately because my truck is less reliable than I like. So been doing that. Um, just mostly like weekend rides here and there, lots of dual sport rides. Uh, that's mostly what I do either on the KLR or the Africa Twin. Now in the past, uh, before the uh, Africa Twin, you had a V-Strom 1000. What year was that? That was a 2003. And and you put what, like 60,000 miles on that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And you had a CR500 at one point? Yeah, I've had CR125, 250, 500. Uh, a bunch of XRs, um, the 750, KZ750 we shared. Yes. Yeah, we, we've had two bikes in common. He bought my <laughs> KZ750E, which was an 81. Yeah. And I bought his MB5, which was the second that I've owned. Yeah. Hmm. I, I wish I still had that MB5. I sold it to Bill's Honda in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and he said he was going to use it as a static display. I wonder if it's still there. Yeah, that'd be interesting. 
I remember those being the coolest thing in high school, the MB5s. Oh, yeah. They really, they're, they're amazing little machines for as small as they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Garrett, you were kicking around the idea of a big adventure bike a couple months ago. Or is it still on your agenda or are you more like getting swayed by Tuanos or something like that? <laughs> oh, the pull is strong towards something sporty, but I just, I know that it's not what I ultimately want. You know, like I always have this pull towards, you know, something sport like. Um, you always want what you don't need and you always need what you don't want. I know. I was, I was even uh, like a moron looking at like 600 CC sport bikes, like for something to, to sort of dual purpose track ride slash like sort of right on the street, but you know, kind of probably more track ride, but I just know that's not <laughs> really what I want well, and long-term in a motorcycle. I really want an adventure bike because I would love to do um, some more comfortable riding. And honestly, I cannot for the life of me spend more than a couple hours in the seat of a sport bike. Um, The distance I can achieve on one is just so limited because they're so uncomfortable. You know, and so then I was looking at powerful adventure motorcycles, you know, like some of the bigger displacement adventure bikes Something like an Africa Twin, uh, a V-Strom, a, a Tenure, along those lines is, is really, I think, just it does so much in so many different categories that it's hard to to, to sway against that. I, I just So, yeah, I am still looking at an adventure bike. Um, so, I have so my... A, so a Tiger 900 coming soon. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about the Triumphs. You know, but they, and I don't know if this is true because of, it's just like the same pressures of the automotive industry, but motorcycles just seem so expensive right now. And and maybe I'm just stuck in like prices from 10 years ago. I just expect like a new motorcycle to be $11,000 and they just aren't anymore. Um, you know, because like when the Africa Twin first came out, I mean, what, 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 it was like 11 or 12,000, 13,000 maybe. Yeah. Now they're, you know, 16, 17, or even more probably. Yeah. So the the cost is so high on them, but similarly, the used bikes are still really expensive as well. Um, Yeah, I just think you get a, a lot in an adventure bike. You know, they can, you can tour on them, you can ride them, you know, pseudo off-road. Uh, and, you know, they're not... They're not underpowered these days. I think every motorcycle has just sort of increased in power over time. You know, before a 70 horsepower motorcycle was like pretty good. People complain about not having more than 100. And so everything has just sort of moved up. To uh, to that point, the, the latest 44 teeth budget bike battle. Oh, man, it's so good. Yeah. So Al's got a, what, 92, I think. Uh, CBR 900 RR that just dynoed it like at a hundred and nine hundred and ten horsepower. Yeah, and then Chris's uh, YZF 750 was like a hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the thing is, same era, like early nineties. I just think those were super bikes, right? With, like all the power, 
and it was 100 or 110. And, right. People would talk about those like you couldn't keep the front end on the no. ground. <laughs> and, and now you get like a, a, a 765 pre-triple that's got more power than that and probably weighs about the same. Yeah. Crazy what, uh, or, I mean, even like the, the, the Aprilia 660 is, well, at least in the sport bike version, the Tuano's a little detuned, but those are almost 100 at the crank. So yeah. they're 80, 85 to 88 at the wheel. So, yeah. The 1200 Bonneville is close to 80. I mean, that's at the crank, but that's still, I mean, and that's not considered like a high performance motorcycle. That's just a, you know, oh yeah, knock around, you know, retro twin kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And just because we were talking about adventure bikes, I, saw, I couldn't remember which exact model it was. So I actually... It caught my eye because you don't see too many of them. There was a I saw a Moto Guzzi V85 TT Adventure today, um, mm. riding along. It just it's a really cool color, color combination, and just the fact that you don't see it makes them kind of neat. So uh, the Vespa is going, so it's submitted to bring a trailer. Oh yeah, did they give you a date yet? No, not yet. Um, but it sounds like probably in a couple weeks. So it's going on no reserve. It seems like they don't do reserves on motorcycles. They don't even let you put one on. Well, I know uh, hmm. cars and bids, everything starts at a dollar. Yeah. There, there's no minimum bid. You can set a reserve, but it's not like you can say, you know, uh, I want bidding to start at $1,200. Yeah. Well, in bring a trailer, it still would start at, you know, zero dollars. Um, but no reserve. And then I was just kind of looking at motorcycle listings in general, and they're all no reserve. I just don't think that they accept reserves on on motorcycles or maybe this uh, lesser amounts, uh, vehicles itself are lesser amounts. But um, so, yeah, it's submitted. Uh, no reserve. I hope it goes for lots of money. <laughs> but you just never know. I mean, it's on bring a trailer, so it could well, get <laughs> Who knows? You, you had... Such, I, I realize it was not your bike, but when you sold the Vesco yeah. RD, the 250-350 mm -hmm. that had the prototype Vesco fairing on it, it's like, that went so cheap. And I was yeah. like, you got to be kidding me. There's so many things, you know, when they're sp spending 10 grand on a CT70 trail. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it that, that, did like, well, A, it went for the same price as the Suzuki Titan. Which seemed very like, I mean, the Titan, yeah, I mean, 4,500 bucks or whatever it sold for, that was probably appropriate. But I would have thought that Vesco bike would have sold for a whole lot more. Well, then the guy who bought it tried to flip it, and evidently that didn't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Makes me wonder if it would still sell for the same price today. I don't know. That, but that would have been one that probably could have talked about to uh, Avi last week about. Just oh, I know. Like, you know, because kind of that, that's one of those ones because it's so it's a special bike, but it's sort of, the, it has to be the right person Yes, that you sort of need a, a niche kind of place to, yeah. to help you with it. Yeah. I don't know if Iconic, well, I know Iconic has their own auction thing now. I don't know yeah. if that was going on back when I sold that bike. I don't remember. But um, Iconic would have been a really good place for that bike to go. And, you know, I thought about Iconic with the Vespa, but that's not really their... Uh, no, audience, no, but I, and, so. and I think bring a trailer works good for for something like a Vespa because it's sort yeah. of a, you know, it's got it. 
you don't have to be a motorcycle person to like yeah to, to like Vespas or know the name right. of Vespa or be cool with them. Yeah. So um on bring a trailer, I think maybe back in April, a Super Sport 180 Vespa sold. And I think it sold for a little over eight thousand dollars. And I don't think it was quite as nice as as mine. Um I think it had been repainted. It was it was red. I don't know how desirable red is of a color, but um, in any case, there's uh, I don't think there's been any other super sports sold on Bring a Trailer besides the one that sold just back in April. Yeah, I'm curious to see what it goes for. It's got all the things going for it. It's like single family owned. It's got 1100 miles on it. It runs and rides like new. It's it presents very well. We'll have to see. Yeah. Watch it'll sell for like forty five hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh let's go back to our adventure bike discussion. Jim, you've kind of been in this niche for a hundred thousand miles or so. Mm-hmm. First of all, the DCT, is that something that you would say is a for you, is that a must have at this point or just kind of a yeah, it's a nice gimmick? Um it's a nice gimmick. I could see definitely if somebody had some sort of issue with their, their hand, their left hand or their left foot where they, they couldn't, you know, modulate a clutch lever all the time or, or their ankle was bad or something, then it would be a game changer for them because it does allow you to ride pretty much just like you normally would. Um, for me, I miss that, that low speed um, control you get with a clutch like doing like parking lot maneuvers or like coming up to, um, you know, a rock or something on a Jeep trail and being able to just use that, the clutch to just kind of deliver the power exactly when you want it. Um, maybe ride a little bit like a gear high and slip the clutch a little bit. So I really miss that. But like on the street, like when you accelerate, it's great. Cause you just hold the throttle and then you can just paddle shift up. And you don't have to blip the throttle or anything. So for me, I, I miss the the clutch at low speeds and then the like technical stuff. But for just bombing around on the street, it's it's pretty nice, especially if you like want to take off from the light and like get away from traffic. Then you can just bang through the gears real fast. Um, I'd really like to ride a bike with a modern quick shifter, up down quick shifter. Cause I think that would be like the best of both worlds where you'd have that, that fine clutch control, but then you'd be able to just pop through the gears without having to, you know, chop the throttle for a second or, or work the clutch. Um, if I was going to buy it again, I don't know. I don't know if I'd buy one again, or if I'd go for a manual transmission, it probably would depend on the day I went in there to buy it. And what kind of deal you get on the specific bike. Yeah, sure. Sure. Because what is the what is the cost difference between a DCT and a manual? I don't know what it is now, but I mean, I think it was uh, originally about yeah. a, a grand. It wasn't that much. It was like five hundred bucks. Okay, I want to say, and I think Honda was probably kind of subsidizing them back then. Yeah, to get more people into them and and on them. So there's there are some people that are just like, you know, both sides just completely dedicated that's all they'll have is a dct and other guys like i would never own automatic 
transmission motorcycle that's you know the devil and everything else so um i don't know you gotta be open-minded so does it just shift via a handlebar switch or is there a foot shifter so back in the day you could get an optional foot shifter Uh um i never thought about it but honestly you don't need it yeah i think it would be in the way Mm mm-hmm my bike is an older, you know, it's the first, first year form. So it has like four modes and then a manual mode. Mm-hmm. So there's like, um, drive, which is pretty horrible. It's like, <laughs> it's like an 80s Chevy citation that just wants to shift into the highest gear it can as quick as it possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that's really good for is I'll use that like if I'm riding with my wife, um, like through a town or something, because it does shift really gently and we don't clack our helmets together or anything like that. But then there's three like sport modes, which make the shift points progressively more aggressive. I usually ride in the least aggressive mode. And then you can you can manual override any of the shifts. Um, with there's a paddle shifter on the left handlebar, so like your index finger is upshift and your thumb is downshift, mm-hmm. and then you can put it in just manual mode, which I'll use that fairly often, especially around here, going up and down like steep passes with switchbacks and stuff, because the the transmission has no idea what you're doing and it'll it'll like downshift at the completely wrong time or or try and upshift or something, so you can just put it in manual and just hold whatever gear you want. I use that a lot for, you know, like mountain passes or more like gravel roads, stuff like that. But the different um, sport modes work pretty decent for that. And then there's a, a, I hate to say it, it's a G button on the dash and it's for gravel. And it's supposed to change the shift points and make the clutch more aggressive. And probably 99% of the time, I don't, I don't even mess with that button because I can't really tell a difference. And then I'll, I'll turn it on. Then, you know, I'll be a hundred miles down the pavement and go, Oh, I guess that's still on. I don't know that it makes a difference and just poke the button, you know, turn it off or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you said earlier about uh, riding sport bikes and not being able to spend much time on them. Um, before I got my V-Strom, I had a, a VFR 800, mm-hmm. which, you know, is, is not like, you know, a race replica seating position or anything. And for me, that thing was so uncomfortable. I put uh, Healy bars on it to raise the bars, make it more comfortable. And about as far as I could ever ride that thing was, I remember it was 235 miles. And I was like, man, this thing's killing me. I got my V-Strom. And the first time I took it out for a real ride, I rode it 250 miles. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, this was a this was a much better decision. Yeah, well, even the last bike I was riding regularly was a Yamaha FZ1, which is, you know, sort of a touring bike. Mm -hmm. And even that was better than a sport bike, but I still just had trouble riding it for very long. It's really buzzy. The seat position is is kind of uncomfortable. The seat was rock hard and it even had a, um, I don't know, a Corbin or some kind of similar seat. And I'm just kind of over that (laughs) when something that's like genuinely enjoyable to ride. And uh, additionally, like the FC one just got really atrocious fuel mileage, getting something, you know, that got better than, you know, high twenties, low thirties would be good. Well, and, 
and also something with a fuel tank that is a little bit more sizable. What's the distance you can get on a fuel a full tank on a Africa Twin? So on my bike, with the the just the stock fuel system, I could squeeze 250 miles out of it mm-hmm. if I was kind of careful about it. I actually put on a um, auxiliary fuel tank that plums into the whole fuel system. It's made by uh, Camel ADV, and it holds uh, 1.7 gallons. And so you have to fill two fuel tanks, but um, once it's full, it'll siphon the fuel out of that mm-hmm. auxiliary tank into the main tank and then burn it off. So I can go um, 300 miles without worrying now. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually, I use that fairly often, you know, that whole mm-hmm. um, distance. Um, the thing about adventure bikes is, you know, you're, you're sitting up on it like a, like a dirt bike. And that's what I grew up. That's what I started riding on was old dirt bikes and stuff. And to me, that's a much more natural position. It's like when I'm leaning forward, like with clip-ons and stuff, I've never felt comfortable like on a sport bike or anything like that. Cause I started riding them later, you know, in my riding career or whatever. Um, but the other thing I've had a Corbin seat before and man, I hate Corbin seats. They yeah. are like, they are so hard. I don't know if I, the one I had wasn't broken in, but that was probably the worst seat I've ever had. And I don't want to diss somebody who's been in the business forever, but they're not for me. Yeah. Mine was rock hard. And I even, I had it, um, I took it to an upholstery shop and had them add a layer of some like nicer foam and then Uh recover the seat. And it was a little bit better, but um, I don't know. I think that just the the base foam that they use, at least on the one that I had was so firm. It had like no squish or give to it. Yeah. And they're heavy. Yeah extremely heavy yeah. the pan that they use is like so heavy <laughs> they're, yeah. they're like a half inch thick or something yeah 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 I, the most comfortable seat i've ever had on a motorcycle was the stock seat on the v-strom yeah and i did um it was right at a thousand miles in one day on that seat wow and uh it was yeah it was fine i mean the rest of me was a wreck but yeah sitting on it wasn't bad um, do you just sit on the seat itself? Do you have like any kind of like, uh, what do they make different things for like, to just kind of like moisture air Hawk and the gel saddles. Yeah. And the... Do you, do you use anything to sit on or do you just sit your, your riding pants straight on the seat surface without anything in between? Yeah, that's what I do. It It's weird, but like underwear makes a huge difference. Yeah. You know? So like, like if the seams are in the wrong spot, that'll just kill you. Yeah. Um, like synthetic, like um, stuff. It it doesn't d- depending on what you're sitting on and and like your riding pants and all that stuff. It can be like too much synthetic material. Mm-hmm. So I found just like, and I don't want this to be like an underwear thing, but like um, <laughs> cotton boxers. Yeah. And I'll wear those. And then those are like the most comfortable for me. Mm. And I think, I think it helps to like wick some of the moisture away. Everybody says, you know, cotton kills. eh." But um, like with my synthetic riding pants and stuff, I think it's just too much plastic that you're sitting on. And then the vinyl seat and everything. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't use 
any seat cushions or memory foam or anything like that. Um, I tried like a beaded seat cover once and that was Mm -hmm. just, I just felt like a cabbie or something. I I actually have one of those beaded seat covers. And the last time I rode smack dab, the middle of the day, I put it on just because, you know, I wanted to just kind of mix it up and have pressure points in different spots. Yeah. Although I was on the spider and it's got like, the seats a football field wide so it's, it's <laughs> i really don't need something I, I could sit on mine i mean i've done well 700 mile days on it and my butt is not the thing that i'm <laughs> complaining about at the end of the day so i'm yeah. feeling encouraged because the last like longer ride that i did man i was so uncomfortable i'm like there's no way i could put more than 200 miles on a motorcycle <laughs> but then i hear people that say they do it and then their butt is not the thing that hurt most which is i don't know it's encouraging try try doing 500 miles 550 miles on an rz 500 where you have two uh expansion <laughs> chambers right under like directly under the seat yeah, yeah. at about 250 to 300 miles those last miles were painful yeah i can't oh, imagine yeah. anything more uncomfortable than that uh jim on your and this because i don't know is anyone doing like remapping for the um, transmission on the on the Africa Twin the, on the DCT? Like they can reprogram it for different shift points or different amounts of aggressiveness. I've never seen anything like that. And from what my understanding is, the the ECU the PCM, whatever you want to call it, is mm-hmm. so locked down okay. that you really can't do anything. There's been uh, I've read about a few things where there's like a little. A device you put in with the uh like the air temperature sensor for the air box that'll kind of richen it up and a couple other things are like a you know a power commander or something like that but i've yeah, never yeah. seen anything for for shift points on the transmission i, I just figured since I, someone would have come up with like you say a power commander or something or whatever mm-hmm. for it by now but yeah honda likes to lock their stuff down pretty hard yeah do you have any plans to replace the africa twin or is that going to be your bike for a while you know, it's funny you asked that after this last trip I took with my wife, I was like missing my V-Strom mm-hmm. and we took that bike. Well, um, I had gotten my, my Africa twin, but I didn't get any, like the luggage I had ordered didn't come in in time. So we ended up taking the V-Strom on like an eight day trip uh, around Colorado. And I think that was, I don't know, like 2,500 miles or something two up. And it was just so comfortable for the two of us. And like the Africa twin is a lot taller and the, the V-Strom was, was a lot more manageable, uh, especially with her on it, like through towns and just, just on the twisty roads and stuff like that. Um, this last weekend when we took it for the weekend, I always felt like I had to be kind of guarded on like how fast I was going or how quick I was going to enter a turn or, or that sort of thing. Cause it just didn't feel as planted with, with her on it and loaded, you know, with our luggage and stuff. So yeah, I'm kind of like, man, another V-Strom might be, might be the, the answer. The, uh, the latest updated one with the eighties yellow kind of paint scheme mm-hmm. and graphics. Oh, they look so that good. That looks so good. Oh that yeah. So good. <laughs> Here, here's a question. If you were going to go with the new V-Strom, they've got cast wheels they've got the spoke wheels and they've got the new 21 inch 
version, how street or off-road oriented would be your choice? Because they've got the the V-Strom, the 1050 XT and the 1050 DE, and then they have adventure versions of those, which I think are just saddlebags. I would not get a, another 21 inch front wheel for a bike like that. The one I had had a 19 inch front and a 17 inch rear. And that's, that's what I would go with. Um, the Africa twin is the only bike I've ever had that will wear out front tires quicker than the rears. Hmm. Really? Yeah. It, it wore out the stock front tire quicker and every tire since then. And I guess it's just the, the, the narrow dirt bikes size front tire on a thousand CC bike with twin, you know, disc brakes on the front. And I, I do tend to brake kind of hard and I'm sure that doesn't help front tire life, but yeah, it'll eat front tires quicker than the rears. Interesting. They have a 19 inch cast wheel, a 19 inch tubeless spoke, and then a 21 inch. As long as you've got tubeless tires, I'm not sure what the draw is of the cast wheel over the spoke version. So weight, yeah. Cast wheel would be lighter. Yeah. Are they? I think spoke wheels have become kind of heavy. Hmm. Or maybe they were always heavy and cast wheels are were were lighter. I can't remember, but interesting. In the day you would bend something, it was easier just to replace the spoke, but cast wheels are so strong now. Yeah. 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 I feel like you have to do a lot of badness to affect a cast wheel these days. <laughs> um, the, the roads you're riding uh, off-road, are they mostly like forest service kind of roads or are you getting well off in, in the dirt and on trails? Um, most of them are like forest service roads or, or gravel county roads, um, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, I'm about 20 miles from uh, a mountain range here. And it's it's funny because like year to year, typically over the winter, I think it depends on how much snow we get and then how hard it melts, how quick it can change the roads like dramatically. And um, so there's there's one particular spot that I go quite often and there's three ways to the top of this this peak. And one is a graded gravel road. Um, and then there was two more like forest service roads and, and one was the easier of the two. And one year I must got a lot of snow and it melted quick. Cause I was surprised cause I took the easy one and it turned out to be much harder than the other one was. And I didn't know about it till I, I hit the hard section and I was already committed on the Africa twin. And so I was like, well, I can't stop and I can't turn around. So full speed ahead. And, um, it was surprising that thing just it climbed up and the traction control was working. Um, the D- DTC worked good then. Um, and I just made my way up it and my buddy was behind me and he struggled, but he came up and he goes, I could tell your entire line up that hill because everywhere you went, there was just a track with overturned rocks and turned up dirt and stuff all the way up. If, if I'd have dropped it, on that climb, um, I wouldn't have been able to pick it up and get going again, I don't think. <laughs> and so that that was more than I like to do on a bike that I spent a lot of money on. I'm looking in, in California, there's a V-Strom 1050 XT. 
and it's adverti- it's new. It's a, a zero mile 2022. It's advertised for 12.3. And it says uh, there's no dealer markup on it as well. That's a pretty fair price in this day and age. Right. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was thinking. Yeah. I was, I did some research. I went out to the website. The, on the Africa Twin, the DCT is $800 and the Adventure Sports Package is 2800 so hmm. that that sounds expensive until you go to the bmw website and start pricing yeah. their packages oh yeah <laughs> right true um cycle world or somebody just did a review of the latest um k1600 gt or something or the bagger 1600 and uh i think the like the the base price was like 24 25 but by the time it was out the door in the trim they were testing was like 31,000 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you're doing Wow. Which, then again, is cheap compared to Harley-Davidson and some of the Screaming Eagle kits and all that other crap, and those get to be almost 50 grand, so, you know, mm. it's all relative. <laughs> I think it was the last uh, Front End Chatter, which is the one out of the UK, podcast out of the UK, a couple of journalists, uh, they were talking about the fact that they had both taken... Uh, bmw gs is on track days <laughs> oh yeah so so gary you could you know get in a big adventure yeah. bike, put the right tires on it and that's true reg, you can uh, track ride anything back in the day reg pridmore was famous for scraping engine cases or the cylinder cylinder heads on a racetrack uh during his schools on a gs yeah yep. i'm much more comfortable on an adventure bike on a twisty road than I am on a sport bike. And I don't know if it's a seating position or, or that's just, you know, what I grew up riding, but. Well, truly, um, unless you're going to do 10 tenths, most any bike will get you where you want to go at a pretty good clip. Oh yeah. And if the pavements, you know, rutted and frost heaved and stuff, all that extra suspension travel actually can be an advantage. Uh, when I was living up in Washington state, when I was in the army, uh, I had an, XL 600 R with a 19 inch front rim and street tires on it. And we'd go out on some of these really kind of nasty pavement on the back roads, guys with twice as much, three times as much power. They couldn't really get going any better because they were, you know, banging their undercarriage around the turns when they'd get going because you don't have the suspension to deal with it. So, but we were young and stupid then. It was, it was fun though, wasn't it? <laughs> yes because i didn't have to die <laughs> <laughs> almost did once had one really bad accident i, I it just this uh what was it saturday morning sarah and i took our spiders out and i had a really close call and it was totally my fault um i was not practicing good lane discipline i was fixated we were turning on a road and Sarah, we were talking on the communicators and Sarah was like, Hey, if this is gravel, don't take that turn. So I'm busy looking around the corner, trying to see this turn off, what the condition of the pavement is. And I look up, there's a car coming at me, slamming on his brakes and I'm, I'm on the spider. So I'm wide and I'm a good three feet into his lane. I was like, Oh crap. Now the good thing about three wheels is I could just stomp the pedal let the ABS do all its little computer figuring out about traction and just twist the handlebars and 
Sarah was like, if you'd been on two wheels, would you have kept that up? And I'm like, mm, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I, I was not my usual careful, smart. So you ride enough and you just get complacent until something like that happens. And you remember how close you are to disaster. And I was like, we, yeah. we got to breakfast. I'm like, that's it. I'm hanging them up. She's like, okay, let's give it an hour <laughs> before you decide that you're going to throw all your motorcycles away. I was like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't have a really good mental capacity for quick thinking. I don't have fast twitch brain fibers. When things happen, I tend to lock up, which is not a good trait for a motorcyclist. <laughs> right. My one racing season I raced, I realized that as fast as I can go and as fast as I care to go are two very, very different things. So <laughs> I don't need a sport bike for anything ever. Um, I got a call uh, yesterday from Mr. Ralph Weidling, who is uh, one of the foremost Boltaco engine builders in the United States. I sent him a, a 360 Frontera motor. Uh, one of the later Boltaco motors didn't have the right cylinder and head on it. And he's like, yeah, this isn't going to work. And I don't have one. So we were originally going to go with an older Astro motor, but it wasn't going to fit my frame and we we're going to modify the cases. And it was, well, he texted me the other day and he goes, Hey, Brad Lackey and I were out and <laughs> we picked up a bunch of Boltaco stuff and it's got a cylinder and a head for you. So I can rebuild your motor. I sent it to him in June and he had a couple of restorations ahead of me, full restorations, like, you know, every nut and bolt, every bolt says bull taco on it, that kind of a restoration. And so I, I told him, I'm not in a big hurry. You know, whenever you can do it, you can do it. So he said, I'm pretty much done with those and I'm ready to work on it. And I got the parts and we just, and I was like, wait a minute, Brad Lackey as in world championship winning motocross Brad Lackey. He's like, yeah, we went to high school together. I was like, wow. <laughs> oh, that's a cool name to drop. So no doubt we discussed it and agreed on a price. Well, a price range. Um, I don't know if it's inappropriate to actually talk dollars. It's on a case by case basis anyways. So, but anyways, he said, um, if it needed everything, like every transmission bearing is shot, which they usually aren't because they're pretty much sealed in hypoid grease. It's pretty hard to ruin them. He said $1,800. $1,500 is a good estimate. And if I didn't do like a vape ignition and the carburetor, I could get in for 12, but I need those things. So I might as well have him install them. So mm -hmm. absolutely. That doesn't sound bad. I'm, I, I, yeah, I think it's real reasonable. So as soon as he's got that done, I'll get working on that. Uh, right now, the bride of Boltockenstein is completely stripped down, and I am in the middle of sanding and detabbing and grinding the frame. And I am discovering how really loosey-goosey quality control was in Taiwan in 1974. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of things that just aren't even symmetrical. Instead of coping the ends of all the tubing, I didn't realize it because they've got metal plates over them, but they just crush the ends flat. The engine cradle and the back seat loop are just 
crushed at the end and welded on. Now they're not going to go anywhere. They're, you know, they've been around for 50 years and, and actually it doesn't have a lot of corrosion. I think it's actually pretty good metallurgy and the paint was good on it, but yeah, I'm flat disking the whole thing to bare metal and I'm going to take it to my real welder. Larry down the street at the welding shop is going to replace all my little flux tack welds with real TIG welding where it needs. So, Hmm. but I, I did get it to the point where it was running fairly well. I never put the hooked up the torque converter on it. So I, I couldn't ride it, but I got it to where it would rev, but it was still kind of weird. And I'm wondering if I need to invest in a, uh, air fuel meter because I just don't have the experience to know whether I'm, you know, rich or lean when it's popping or, you know, hesitating and stuff. I'm like, eh, it could be rich. I could be lean. It could be the needle. It could be the needle position. It could be the pilot jet. And I'm figuring out as I go, but it would be really nice to go. Okay. Yeah. That's, you know, look at the needle and go, okay, it's really lean when it's doing that bad thing, but they're like 200 bucks. I mean, there's ones for $30 that you can buy on Amazon and everybody, every single review is like, this lasted 30 minutes. This lasted an hour. Uh, the gauge broke. The The sensor stopped working. It's like, okay, if you really want something nice with a Bosch sensor and a needle that's going to last, they're 200 bucks. Well, I've got enough projects. I'll probably be worth it in time and, mm-hmm. and not relying on wild-ass guesses as to my carburation settings. So, Sure. Does that have a... A probe you can just stick in the tailpipe, or do you have to actually put an oxygen sensor in the... All of them may just have an... Because oct- there's a specific distance from the head that they want you to weld it on. Sure. Depending on the length of your exhaust system, it tells you absolutely nothing beyond a certain point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. So anyways, but I'm I'm trying to tell myself the goal is not to finish, but just to enjoy going down and puttering around in the shop because I'm never going to finish anything. So <laughs> I, I was, when I was talking to Sarah, I was like, the good the news is none of my projects will ever injure me on the road because I will never finish any of them. So, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter how dangerous it is out on the road because I'll never ride them. So <laughs> speaking of TIG welding, I got some supplies so I could try and get my RZ tank repaired. Mm. Um, I'm going to, so I was sort of going back and forth on doing it myself versus um, sending it out. I'm going to try and fix it myself again. So I got, I ended up getting some really um, nice uh, TIG cups, you know, like the gas shield cups and, and diffusers. And I got some thinner welding rod and a uh, smaller tungsten and made a setup so I can back purge the fuel tank. So like I got all this stuff and I'm going to really try and put my TIG welding skills to the test. But, you know, on the RZ tank, there's there's no large holes, right? I, actually, there is no visible holes. It's all metal. It does, you know, leak liquid through it. But considering there's no like gaps to fill, I think with the right setup and a little bit of practice on some other thinner sheet metal, I think I can probably get it all repaired. And I made a contraption to um, pressure test the fuel tank too. 
Um, so I'm going to give it a go. See if I can get that fuel tank all fixed up and get that RZ finally done. Like you need some neon neon dye in there when you pressure it up so you can see where it's seeping through. Or Yeah, you can also just use some water and, uh, you know, just a little bit of soap in it, mild yeah. detergent, and it'll bubble with, uh, you know, even just with um, back pressure of the argon. Have you considered MIG brazing, like like uh, you know yeah. sil- silicon bronze yeah. brazing? Because I know that that's what they're using on all the thin sheet metal on cars nowadays when they're you know replacing quarter panels and stuff for like Mercedes and all those. They specify MIG brazing as the way to yeah. put body panels back on the cars yeah. for collisions. Yeah, and that's um, you know oftentimes a technique that's used on fuel tanks as well. Yeah, I, you know, I just, I have experience with TIG welding. I have no experience with brazing. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll try and give it some TIG welding work. And then, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Are the, are the holes on the bottom by the seam? No, they're actually not. So at RZ fuel tank, if you look at it, there at the, the bottom of it, there's kind of a V shape and the the petcock is near the bottom of that um v but it's actually not all the way at the bottom so what happens is just a little bit of fuel probably 10 cc's of fuel just sits in this little um v bottom shape and it just corrodes that that very bottom part and it's the seam isn't affected gotcha so it's actually in a pretty decent spot to try and weld Mm -hmm. um all the moisture probably collects right there too. It and, does, yeah. It really yeah, does. When you like cut that section off and just put a flat piece of metal in there, so it can't yeah, it. yeah. Um, but I'm just so anxious to get that RZ finally done. You know, it's so stupid to have to be waiting on a fuel tank when it's got this beautiful rebuilt engine with all fancy parts and <laughs> exhaust, and like it's just such a nice bike to be waiting on a fuel tank it's driving me crazy (laughs) can you temporarily put the one from the uh ugly rz on it so you can go ride it i mean i've never really been one to do that (laughs) (laughs) well i thought if you're really that desperate to get out on it you know so you can rattle rattle can it in primer gray that way it doesn't look quite as bad yeah no yeah (laughs) i haven't reached that point of desperation you were talking about it having a track bike if you've got that the ugly rz is a great track bike oh, perfect yeah yeah <laughs> no, I mean, you, you, you've got that covered and it's got yeah like 160 size tire on the back and you know 110 on the front or 120 or whatever it is and dual large brakes and you know four piston cal it's got everything it's got <laughs> it's got it all to do pretty well on the track besides a flimsy 1985 RZ frame, everything else is pretty nice. <laughs> so you were talking about uh, doing oddball gas tanks or whatever, just so you could mm-hmm. ride it. Mm-hmm. Years ago, it was probably, gosh, 20 years ago, I was working at a shop and one of the guys I worked with, you know, used to ride. And uh, so he, he got all excited because I would ride my bikes to work. And so he bought this old uh, KZ750 and the fuel tank was just a wreck, just all rusty and everything. So he, he gets this bike and he brings it to work and we'd mess with it after work. So, um, helped him get the carbs rebuilt and all that stuff. And so I brought my 
fuel tank that you you know, hang from a stand just so we mm-hmm. can synchronize the synchronize the carburetors and stuff. So we got it running and he was so excited. Oh man, I really like to ride this. And I'm like, just hang that thing off your shirt collar and go for it, dude. <laughs> and so he did. And I have a picture of him. He's got this, this fuel tank hanging from the back of his shirt collar. And he was boom down the road with that thing. Luckily we were out in the middle of nowhere, but yeah, that was probably the craziest thing I've seen as far as that goes. <laughs> hey, yeah, do what you gotta yep. do. Uh our past guest and buddy Mike Festiva has a couple of new videos out. He and his brother bought some Coleman mini bikes that they've been hopping up. Uh, he bought the the Stroker Predator motor, and his brother bought the new Ghost, uh, which is the the Predator two twelve, but with all the go fast parts on it. You know, it's got a a regular slide valve carb instead of the little mm-hmm. butterfly carb on it and stuff like that so uh if you're at all interested in the mini bike thing they're highly he always does really good videos and they're they're highly entertaining and i like what he did they got coleman like what is it like the bx 200 or something which is ones that don't have a fuel tank on the frame they use the fuel tank industrial engine has mm-hmm. and They've got front suspension, but no rear suspension, but they've got the big uh, donut tires on them. And these got really good video of them just bombing over trails on these things. I mean, they're not going like, you know, light speed or anything, but they're cooking pretty good for something mm-hmm. with no rear suspension, except for a, a, a boing boing tire on the back. So, but uh, yeah, I would, I, if anybody wants to be entertained, I, I always like his videos. Yeah, I've actually been enjoying watching his videos lately. And he has some really good stuff about fabrication, too. Yeah. Yep. He did a comparison of all different flux core MIG wire, which I'd never seen anybody else do. I was like, well, that's wow. smart because it's kind of mm-hmm. like really important to have decent wire when you don't have any gas bottle. So mm-hmm. um, anything else? Anybody's? No. My life's on hold at the moment. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So, Pete, we were talking, well, texting today about, like, the Evil Knievel Museum and that, uh, what was that, Midwest car collection? Yeah, Super Car Museum or whatever. Whatever, and uh, Manhattan or whatever. I I really want to see the Evil Knievel Museum. I've heard it's really good. People that don't even have any interest in motorcycles have said it's good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Kansas actually has a lot of motorcycle museums. They've yes. got the the one in Marquette. They've got yep. the one in, um, it was just written up in Northwest Kansas today. They covered smack dab. Yes. Uh, whatever. I, I forget what town it is, but it, they've got two really good vintage bike museums. They've got the Evil Knievel Museum. Um, I'd like to do that. I also want to get out to liberal and go to the air museum i've heard that's really good oh yeah that's closer to your neck of the woods than mine but uh yeah have you ever been there i have not i have not have you been to the cosmosphere yeah that's that is that is fantastic yeah uh, that is when, really cool when i taught we took the eighth graders there every year so yeah but yeah, it is a wonderful wonderful facility and yeah. an I- imax theater there and all kinds of stuff so 
I don't know. I think we should plan a trip to Liberal and I don't know, maybe Topeka. Sounds good. Yeah. We haven't been riding together for a long time. Forever. Yeah. I think the first smack dab is the last time that we've ridden together. Yeah. When are you going to do smack dab next? 24. I do it every three years. Every three years. We did it the first year. Let's see, 15 and then 18, 21, 24. Now I go to Smith Center every year. Sure. But I don't do the ride up to rugby. Although I was really surprised somebody on ADV Rider today was like, I didn't know about this. And I was going (laughs) through rugby and somebody at the visitor center told me about it. I'm like, I didn't even think they were like promoting this at all up there. (laughs) It's very different. The two, the two towns have a totally different attitude about the ride in Kansas. It's like, Oh, let's roll out the red carpet. Let's have a barbecue. And the other people are like, "Uh, okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, I just was looking and, you were on episode 28 and this is episode 128. So oh, wow. Evidently we have you on every hundred episodes. So <laughs> okay. So oh. if we have two Yeah, see you at 228. Yeah, <laughs> two, 228. You can, you can come back on. No, you're actually welcome anytime. And 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 by the way, Garrett will need you to look at a motorcycle that's somewhat close to you. Yeah. Well, how far are you from Eagle? Um it's not close, but it's a nice ride there. There, there happens to be a 2007 Aprilia Capo Nord for uh, $4,800 mm-hmm. over there. And it's got uh, Tourtech uh, cases on it. Those are actually kind of hidden gems. The Capo Nords, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that's, uh, well, you would know that yep. motor, Pete. You'd know yep, it very it's... well. The same one's in your Spider. Very, very similar to yeah, it anyway. Yeah. It's the Rotax 990. Yeah, that's nice. It's cheap. So, well, relatively big. Yeah. Affordable. Yeah. It's it's one of those bikes you could buy, ride for a year, and sell, and probably get all, all if not, you know, probably almost all your money back. And those are my favorite ones. Those are my favorite <laughs> vehicles and, and motorcycles, the ones that I ride for free. Yes. Scratch the itch and you move on. I love them. Yep. I have to tell you my wild scheme for after I retire and I'm not building motorcycles, I want to get an MG Midget. And I want to put a VTX 1800 V-Twin in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything would be better than the stock motor. Because yeah. a friend of mine in high school had one. And I ended up semi-sort of owning it for about a month. Because he screwed it up and I had to fix it as best I could. Zero to 60 was, you know, most of the day. <laughs> I had an MGB for a while, which had the bigger motor in it. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine what a midget was like because the MGB was uh, was very, very, very slow. <laughs> when I was 16 and I was getting my license and I wanted a car, there was an Austin Healey Sprite, which is basically the same thing as a midget. Mm-hmm. One of the older ones, like a 66 or a 67 that was for sale at a gas station about a mile from my house. And I went down and I was going to talk to the guy. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm all over this. And the guy's like, I will not sell it to you. A 16 year old <laughs> who needs transportation. No, I will not sell you this car. He did you he's a favor. Like, he's like, it's my personal car. And he said, I've had the head machine flat twice and it's got less than a hundred thousand miles on it. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, you just you work on them all the time. No, this is for somebody who's going to take it out on a Sunday. This is not transportation. And I don't care how much you want it. You're not getting it from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Okay. Well, let's wrap this up for this month. Uh, you can see pictures of all the bikes that were talked about on this episode on hooniverse.com just uh click on the podcast link on hooniverse.com and you can find us along with uh the on the road again podcast and the hooniverse podcast you can get to us if you want to talk to us through our facebook page that's probably the easiest way because all three of us have access to that so if you want to ask any questions to any of us and if you have any questions for jim Uh, we can pass them along so that's it for this month and we will see you all in uh, November alright so long so long